Hello and welcome to the Lazy Book Club podcast, the book club for those who don't want to read or leave the house. My name is Matt Gonzalez. <sighs> and I'm Josh Matheson. You okay, David? Yeah, we keeping you from something. That's not what came to my head. <laughs> I was thinking like, oh, am I going to do like a, I'm like I'm going to do like an EastEnders reference, but like honestly, I really really enjoy just a spur of moment the melodrama just just going i love it and that just that just manifested as a sigh i know sometimes crazy sounds maybe it's subliminal maybe like i've had a difficult week i don't know that's (laughs) that's there we go that's that's what my body wanted to say this is probably a really poor poor reflection on me but i think that's my favorite part of the podcast just waiting for that look. what's gonna happen yeah it's true i mean throw the reading the book out of the window it's me i don't know either it's great fun just organic <laughs> well this week we're looking at chapter nine of animal farm yeah penultimate chapter yes penultimate chapter is it? yeah it is yeah I, d- I guess it feels that way but like yeah it's quite not many chapters Mm, but you can expect some like peak pig performance coming up in the next two Ooh, chapters. the three P's. Peak, the peak pig <laughs> performance. <laughs> peak pig Woo! performance. Last week, uh, the windmill got destroyed for a second time after it actually got finished as well. That's so why that's I sighed because that's that's literally. Oh, that's why yeah. the sigh. Was that's what there. Boxer says. Boxer. Yeah, really. it's an embodiment <laughs> of where the animals are at <laughs> mentally right now. Yeah. So we had the Battle of the Windmill where Napoleon ended up getting another medal. Everybody got a couple of days off, but it was all a distraction from the fact that the banknotes were forgeries and Frederick mm-hmm. kind of screwed everybody over, didn't he? I and really want to see the forgeries. I just yeah, have this I know. beautiful mental picture of just like... Crayon. Instead of the queen, there's like a yeah. pig. Frederick just got <laughs> his, on his serve, kids yeah, to do it. The local <laughs> It's just newspaper. It's not even spent pounds. It's like P double A N D. Ten pounds. (laughs) Brilliant. Well, I think we should just dive straight in. I have a feeling that we're not going to get any merrier as these chapters go on. I know that Boxer at the end of the chapter was highlighting well the author was highlighting you know boxer's age and the fact that you know he thought he windmill was going to, have to be rebuilt and squealer was going oh it's fine we'll make six of them and it's like no squealer i'll have to make them not you it's all going to be me so i mean let's just dive in and see where this is going to go really i have a feeling that listeners i don't think it's going to get any happier so if you need some tissues or some chocolate as a pick-me-up or just start drinking while you're listening it might just take the edge off a bit yeah we're all sitting here with a drink there you go cheers boys i don't we don't always do we but it just so happens that we've got that we've got a hat trick so or let's do some uh, let's do some why is it asmr let's see see if we're gonna hear this <laughs> oh, I don't know if it picked that up. I <laughs> well, I can hear it at my end, so yes, your mic okay, good. picked it up. Actually, I'm just going to open okay. the can before we get going, just so it doesn't make noise. Should I read the book? Is that, is that what we're doing? Is that where no, we're that at? Was, yeah, but David Sorry. was just opening his next drink so that when he Excellent. finishes his current one, it doesn't make a noise. <laughs> this is going well. Very good. <laughs> Chapter 9. Boxer's split hoof was a long time in healing. They had started the rebuilding of the windmill the day after the victory celebrations were ended. Boxer refused to take even a day off work and made it a point of honour not to let it be seen that he was in pain. 
In the evenings, he would admit privately to Clover that the hoof troubled him a great deal. Clover treated the hoof with poultices. Poultices. Poultices? Yes, please. What does that mean? so. So, yeah, a soft, moist mass of material typically consisting of bran flour herbs applied to the body to relieve soreness, inflammation, and is kept in place with a cloth. If you read a lot of books about like the Middle Ages and yeah, like yeah, okay. and those kinds of things, you hear a lot about poultices. It's basically like pre-medicine medicine. Like a little herbal remedy. That's probably why the words died then, I guess. Yes, yeah. you don't have poultices anymore. Thank goodness, by the <laughs> yeah. way, because that sounds really not... Doctor, I've got COVID. Here's some mint. Let me just rub it on your forehead. <laughs> yeah. Off you go. <laughs> oh, like, I just feel like a cocktail. That's it. You know. Yeah. I'll just sl- slather you in pesto and hope for the best. <laughs> yeah, I'll Maybe. cover you in tomato and put a celery stick down your... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Bloody don't fairy. get me wrong. Nature has some amazing remedies, but some of these things are a little bit suspect when leeches and poultices were used for like everything. Sure. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, so here we go. Poultice. <clears throat> poultices, lovely. Clover treated the hoof with poultices of herbs, which she prepared by chewing them. And both she and Benjamin urged Boxer to work less hard. A horse's lungs do not last forever, she said to him. But Boxer would not listen. He had, he said, only one real ambition left, to see the windmill well underway before he reached the age for retirement. At the beginning, when the laws of Animal Farm were first formulated, the retiring age had been fixed for horses and pigs at twelve, for cows at fourteen, for dogs at nine, for sheep at seven, and for hens and geese at five. Liberal old-age pensions had been agreed upon. As yet, no animal had actually retired on pension, but of late the subject had been discussed more and more. I think it'd be a really... If they started to do like a... a, a you contribute and they so you put like some a certain amount of oats into your pension and then your employer puts like the same amount in <laughs> so you're not going to get you're not going to get a state pension you do it yourself from the age of 25 and then we'll contribute and then but i like this i like the sound i mean is a goose retiring at five the same as us probably retiring at 80 i don't know yeah i think it's all about life expectancy the animals that live longer obviously have I'm longer. still thinking I'd probably rather live on Animal Farm at this point. I would love to see an OAP chicken, though. That's just the dream, isn't it? Seeing a Do they a think they have like chicken. a little home where they have like bingo? <laughs> yeah. With their little half-baked <laughs> perched on the nose. Yeah, on the beak. Like a little oh, like bun. And <laughs> they have like a 1950s dance evening and they just like, yes. they're just like couples. It's just good for mingling. You know? Just do the Lindy Hop, yeah. Yeah, singer comes in twice a, a week. A chicken with a Zimmer frame. It would just be brilliant. (laughs) Just the dream. Absolute dream. (laughs) Now that the small field beyond the orchard had been set aside for barley, it was rumoured that the corner of the large pasture was to be fenced off and turned into grazing ground for superannuated animals. For a horse, it was said, the pension would be five pounds of corn a day and in winter, 15 pounds of hay with a carrot or possibly an apple on public holidays. Boxer's twelfth birthday was due in the late summer of the following year. Meanwhile, life was hard 
The winter was as cold as the last one had been, and food was even shorter. Once again all rations were reduced, except those of the pigs and the dogs. A too rigid equality in rations, Squealer explained, would have been contrary to the principles of animalism. In any case, he had no difficulty in proving to the other animals that they were not, in reality, short of food, whatever the appearances might be. For the time being, certainly, it had been found necessary to make a readjustment of rations. Squealer always spoke of it as a readjustment. Never as a <laughs> reduction. Never not funny. It does show you how important semantics are in politics. Never say the word tax. Just always say like yeah. a charge. Well, the big one was uh, um, global warming being changed to climate change. Because mm. it's just more palatable. Also slightly more accurate, I think. And that's that's just mad to me. It's like, oh, we know this thing's bad. Let's make it seem like, oh, climate change. Oh, we're going to change the climate. <laughs> Not like the globe is getting too warm. Climate change. Well, the problem as well is because you've got idiots like Donald Trump saying, oh, global warming, but everything's getting colder in some places, you know, or, or some cold places would prefer a bit of global warming. That means they'd get some sunshine. And you're like, that's not what no. this is. So climate change is a little bit better because it doesn't it doesn't suggest that the thermostat's only going to go in one direction in every single place on the planet. Mm. Do you think Napoleon would be sort of anti-Paris climate agreement, or do you think Napoleon oh, would sort of be quite sort of you know um, if it, if it, on that? No, I think if it interfered with his whiskey rations and and the rest of his whatever he wanted to do, he's got no morals. We can see that yeah. it's all about how do I get ahead and how do I stay in charge? So whatever achieves those two things is what he's about. Yeah, if it meant he had to compromise or let go of anything, exactly. there's no way. No, no way. But in comparison with the days of Jones, the improvement was enormous. Reading out the figures in a shrill, rapid voice, he proved to them in detail that they had more oats, more hay, more turnips than they had had in Jones' day, that they worked shorter hours, that their drinking water was of better quality, that they lived longer, that a larger proportion of their young ones survived infancy, and that they had more straw in their stalls and suffered less from fleas. The animals believed every word of it. Truth to tell, Jones and all he stood for had almost faded out of their memories. They knew that life nowadays was harsh and bare, that they were often hungry and often cold, and that they were usually working when they were not asleep. But doubtless it had been worse in the old days. They were glad to believe so. Besides, in those days they had been slaves, and now they were free, and that made all the difference, as Squealer did not fail to point out. There were many more mouths to feed now. In the autumn, the four sows had all littered about simultaneously, producing thirty-one young pigs between them. The young pigs were piebald, and as Napoleon was the only boar on the farm, it was possible to guess at their parentage. <laughs> well, well, yeah. He's been getting busy <laughs> in his apartment. Yeah. He's been making wow. bacon, girls. <laughs> Again, another thing of like, being able to procreate is kind of a privilege 
in a lot of senses because you have to be able to afford it and also you have to have the time and the energy boxer i imagine even if there was a mayor would probably be so knackered that he'd be like you know what love not tonight <laughs> Poor <fella. laughs> whereas napoleon because he's doing absolutely nothing on this farm is like yep send the next one in <laughs> oh it's just a line coming out of the out of the house uh... just these these like sows just like in you know just like going oh there's nothing else for me to do <laughs> they're basically in a harem and like yeah. napoleon is sultan <laughs> It was announced that later, when bricks and timber had been purchased, a schoolroom would be built in the farmhouse garden. For the time being, the young pigs were given their instruction by Napoleon himself in the farmhouse kitchen. They took their exercise in the garden and were discouraged from playing with the other young animals. About this time, too, it was laid down as a rule that when a pig and any other animal met on the path, the other animal must stand aside, and also that all pigs of whatever degree were to have the privilege of wearing green ribbons on their tails on Sundays. Molly, if she came back and saw that, <laughs> she'd be going like, are you kidding me right hell? now? What the hell? <laughs> pigs. Yeah. You chuck me out. You like run me off the farm for that. Uh, we I must mean, have a chat at some point about where are they now? Little mm, Molly and the cat. Yeah. Of spin-off series i'd <laughs> yeah. love to we could do fan fiction couldn't we it's just molly like, in the riviera the farm had had a fairly successful year but was still short of money there were the bricks it's already crayon <laughs> napoleon wanted to sort of frame his first dollar and like put it above the board but yeah The farm had had a fairly successful year, but was still short of money. There were the bricks, sand and lime for the schoolroom to be purchased, and it would also be necessary to begin saving up again for the machinery for the windmill. Then there were lamp oil and candles for the house, sugar for Napoleon's own table. He forbade this to the other pigs on the grounds that it made them fat and all the usual replacements such as tools, nails, string, coal, wire, scrap iron and dog biscuits. A stump of hay and a part of the potato crop were sold off, and the contract for the eggs was increased to 600 a week, so that that year the hens barely hatched enough chicks to keep their numbers at the same level. Rations, reduced in December, were reduced again in February and lanterns in the stalls were forbidden to save oil. But the pigs seemed comfortable enough, and in fact were putting on weight, if anything. One afternoon in late February, a warm, rich, appetising scent, such as the animals had never smelt before, wafted itself across the yard from the little brew house, which had been disused in Joan's time, and which stood beyond the kitchen. Someone said it was the smell of cooking barley. The animals sniffed the air hungrily and wondered whether a warm mush was being prepared for their supper. But no warm mush appeared, and on the following Sunday it was announced that from now onwards all barley would be reserved for the pigs. Is it like an indication of how hungry these animals are? When they're like, oh, I hope I get warm mush for my tea. <laughs> warm mush. Oh, 
Warmer. And the pigs are going like, oh, I'm going to try a slightly hoppier IPA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that's what they're thinking. Like, they're doing, like, pairings in yeah. the farmhouse. <laughs> and everyone else is sitting there going, oh, I love a mush. I love a bit of warm mush. <laughs> Overnight mush. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so sad. It's so sad. You just a blackberry and put it in the other day. Yeah. You just want to sit there and be like, oh, animals. Don't like, take this. Just stop be, it. Yeah, just rise up. and just Rise up. Just, there can't be that many. Uh, it's so upsetting. It is quite upsetting. It's not real. <laughs> <laughs> it's an allegory, I think po- mate. I think the point we've I learned, know. David, is that it very much is real. <laughs> yes, it's definitely based on real. <laughs> but not the barley mush bit. That's... No, no, not the barley mush bit. No, but I would not be surprised if people walking past the Kremlin probably went, oh, that smells good. Someone's, you know, Stalin's having something nice for his dinner while we're all outside eating frozen beets or something. I don't know. (laughs) I get there's an allegory, but in that moment, I decided to say that it's not this, this actual thing on the animal farm is is, is still fiction. I get this allegory. It is. A complete allegory, and we've obviously made the points up to this point, so you know that I'm aware (laughs) about so many of the things that link together, but at that point, I decided to say that it's a work of fiction, and that is my my decision. It was more your coping mechanism more than anything else. (laughs) It's like, I need this to not not be real. It's not real. (laughs) I'm sorry that I shattered your dreams. Living in denial. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if it's if i don't believe it's real it can't help me if i don't believe it's real, it can't help me. <laughs> the field beyond the orchard had already been sown with barley and the news soon leaked out that every pig was now receiving a ration of a pint of beer daily with half a gallon for napoleon himself which was always served to him in the Crown Derby soap tureen. But if there were hardships to be borne, they were partly offset by the fact that life nowadays had a greater dignity than it had had before. There were more songs, more speeches, more processions. Napoleon had commanded that once a week there should be held something called a spontaneous demonstration, the object of which was to celebrate the struggles and triumphs of Animal Farm. At the appointed time, the animals would leave their work and march round the precincts of the farm in military formation, with the pigs leading, then the horses, then the cows, then the sheep, and then the poultry. (laughs) This is hilarious, because who are they marching for? Like, there's no one watching. Do you know what I mean? Like normally with these parades, you have spectators, oh, I'd be and then you have. But <laughs> yeah, but 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 I mean, what is this? All cheating? the animals are in the parade, yeah. so they're literally just walking around in circles for nobody. Like who's the carnival? Kind of queen? like North Korea though, because it's like a million people in their parade. Like it's literally yeah, everyone, true. and there's no one else watching. Yeah. It's literally for themselves. The dogs flanked the procession, and at the head of all marched Napoleon's black cockerel. Boxer and Clover always carried between them a green banner marked with the hoof and the horn and the caption, Long Live Comrade Napoleon. Afterwards, there were recitations of poems composed in Napoleon's honour and a speech by Squealer giving particulars of the latest increases in the production of foodstuffs and on occasion a shot was fired from the gun. 
The sheep were the greatest devotees of the spontaneous demonstration, and if anyone complained, as a few animals did, when no pigs or dogs were near, that they wasted time and meant a lot of standing about in the cold, the sheep were sure to silence them with a tremendous bleating of four legs good, two legs bad. But by and large, the animals enjoyed these celebrations. They found it comforting to be reminded that, after all, they were truly their own masters, and that the work they did was for their own benefit. So that, what with the songs, the processions, squealers, lists of figures, the thunder of the gun, the crowing of the cockerel, and the fluttering of the flag, they were able to forget that their bellies were empty, at least part of the time. In April, Animal Farm was proclaimed a republic, and it became necessary to elect a president. <laughs> Who's going <laughs> to be? <laughs> I just... He's going to become Castro. I just want to see Napoleon with like a beret and a cigar. That's all I want to see. Just, uh, that just make my day. Just Can I just say something? I don't think a pint of beer would would touch the sides in a large pig. Because he gets a gallon though. Yeah, I suppose. But like what? Yeah, one pint for a normal pig would be like a shot. Yeah, but, but the thing is, I think the beer is more a status thing. And an exclusive thing and a prestigious thing than an actual I want to get drunk thing. Do you know what I mean? Because only the pigs are allowed to drink it. So then suddenly it becomes this kind of coveted item that only a select class are allowed to enjoy. I guess all it was for me, Matt, I I was just I just had a mini daydream. And I was just trying to guess how many beers it would take to get a big drunk. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize that was the game. There was only one candidate, Napoleon, who was elected unanimously. On the same day, it was given out that fresh documents had been discovered which revealed further details about Snowball's complicity with Jones. It now appeared that Snowball had not, as the animals had previously imagined, merely attempted to lose the Battle of the Cowshed by means of a stratagem but had been openly fighting on Jones's side. In fact, it was he who had actually been the leader of the human forces and had charged into battle with the words long live humanity on his lips. (laughs) The wounds on Snowball's back, which a few of the animals still remembered to have seen, had been inflicted by Napoleon's teeth. History can just be changed so easily... And and the joke is is that this isn't history that it was even that long ago. And we, we see it today. We see like, oh, did that really happen? Did that person really say that? Or was that, I have alternative facts that would say that this happened and that that's actually the case, you know? Like I know that when the Biden transition of power happened, Kerry, what's her name? The horrible press secretary, blonde lady that took over from Trump said, well, we didn't have a peaceful transition of power either. And it's like, sorry, Obama welcomes Trump to the White House and Hillary Clinton conceded the election and called for unity. What are you talking about? And it's like, and everyone she was saying this to lived through it. It was only four years ago. Yet all of the followers of that thing are are all believing it like it happened and it happened the way that she's telling it. And it's like, it's just amazing how short people's memories are. Which is why this is so scary as a book, Mm. because you sit there and you go, oh, yeah, that happened this year. 
literally that happened this year someone rewrote history in politics this year in the middle of the summer moses the raven suddenly reappeared on the farm after an absence of several years he was quite unchanged still did no work and talked in the same strain as ever about sugar candy mountain he would perch on a stump flap his black wings and talk by the hour to anyone who would listen oh okay moses the raven talks i need a Oh, so oh. he's meant to represent the clergy. So that description with like him sitting on a stump and talking to anyone listening makes me think of the "Don't be a sinner, be a winner" man who used to stand in Oxford Street. Do you remember him? You're gonna have you to help me like, out. No idea. Like an evangelical church leader. Yeah, it was just an evangelical church person who used to just be like, yeah, "Don't be a sinner, be a winner." Yeah, I'd love him to be. Yeah, and I feel the soul within my heart, like that sort of thing. He's gonna like start a shout at any second. I want judgment, judgment, judgment. And the choir's like going mad in the background, and everyone's popping, and the tambourines are going. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. That's what I want. So, does that make sense, Josh? I mean, just bobbed our heads and just made noise, and then is that okay, George? Is that a good note? Yeah, I mean, you know, you you two are both terribly gracious. Uh, Even when I clearly have no idea what you're talking about with the voice, (laughs) and I try something, you you always go, yeah, lovely, stick with that. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure we just we just go and do our own thing and go. Do you know what voice we want? It's like, "Mm, (laughs) (laughs) you know, something will come out of my mouth. <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. It's I don't... Just an organ playing at every point. I... You know when you just have no idea what's about to come out of your mouth and it's probably going to be horrific. That is one of my favourite ones. He would perch on a stump, flap his black wings, and talk by the hour to anyone who would listen. Up there, comrades. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. It's a winner. He would say solemnly. Just spice it up. To... Sell it. Sell okay, it. Yeah. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Sing song. He... Yep. He would say solemnly, pointing to the sky with his large beak. Up there, just on the other side of that dark cloud that you can see, there it lies. Sugar Candy Mountain. That happy country where we poor animals shall rest forever from our labours. He even claimed to have been there on one of his higher flights and to have seen the everlasting fields of clover and the linseed cake and the lump sugar growing on the hedges. Many of the animals believed him. Their lives now, they reasoned, were hungry and laborious. Was it not right and just that a better world should exist somewhere else? A thing that was difficult to determine was the attitude of the pigs towards Moses. They all declared contemptuously that his stories about Sugar Candy Mountain were lies, and yet they allowed him to remain on the farm, not working, with an allowance of a gill of beer a day. I don't know how much a gill is. It's probably really small. Yeah, I have no idea. 142 millilitres. Oh, that's not that much. No, that's not even a. That's not a teacup. A third Sorry. of a pint. A teacup. A quarter of a pint. Sorry, a quarter Blimey. of a pint. 
Ooh, I mean, that's enough oh. to get him a little bit. He's only a little raven. Oh, I'll buy, I'll buy, I'll buy. What, what, what are we having, guys? Yeah, I'll, I'll have a Foster's. I'll have a Carling. It's like, oh, I'm only getting gills, though. <laughs> Just a gill. <laughs> Stingy. <laughs> yeah, but if you're like a little raven or whatever it is, you'd get True. hammered on that pretty quickly. After his hoof had healed up, Boxer worked harder than ever. Indeed, all the animals worked like slaves that year. Apart from the regular work of the farm and the rebuilding of the windmill, there was the schoolhouse for the young pigs, which was started in March. Sometimes the long hours on insufficient food were hard to bear, but Boxer never faltered. In nothing that he said or did was there any sign that his strength was not what it had been. It was only his appearance that had a little altered, his hide was less shiny than it had used to be, and his great haunches seemed to have shrunken. The others said, Boxer will pick up when the spring grass comes on. But the spring came and Boxer grew no fatter. Sometimes, on the slope leading to the top of the quarry, when he braced his muscles against the weight of some vast boulder, it seemed that nothing kept him on his feet except the will to continue. At such times, his lips were seen to form the words, I will work harder. He had no voice left. Once again, Clover and Benjamin warned him to take care of his health, but Boxer paid no attention. His twelfth birthday was approaching. He did not care what happened so long as a good store of stone was accumulated before he went on pension. Late one evening in the summer, a sudden rumour ran round the farm that something had happened to the boxer. He had gone out alone to drag a load of stone down to the windmill, and sure enough, the rumour was true. A few minutes later, two pigeons came racing up with the news. Have the pigeons said anything yet? No, we haven't had we haven't had any do, pigeons' voice. Now, do we have an official Lazy Book Club ruling that all pigeons are Sarah Millican? Is that? A th- I was about to say. Yeah, I was going to say either that or it was the case that whenever someone wasn't named, we just made them the Chicken Run Lady as well. The Chicken so, Run Lady. Well, I, I, I feel these, like, like we've got these like legend ladies who just run through every book, but Sarah Millican <laughs> yeah. hasn't made an appearance this book, so why not? She hasn't, and I think she has twice before in other books. So. Yeah. And also, I think I, I now have had a big flashback from my school days, and I know I know what happens after this, and I think we need Sarah Millican. We do. We need some sunshine right now. We need now Sarah before, Millican. Before I'm the thunderstorm that's Millican. about to hit. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sarah Millican brings all the joy. Yes, it's true. Boxer has fallen. He's laying <laughs> on his side and he can't get up. <laughs> And that was the last laugh of the book. (laughs) About half the animals on the farm rushed out to the knoll where the windmill stood. There lay Boxer, between the shafts of the cart, his neck stretched out, unable even to raise his head. His eyes were glazed, his sides matted with sweat, A thin stream of blood had trickled out of his mouth. 
Clover dropped to her knees at his side. Boxer, she cried. How are you? It's my lung, said Boxer in a weak voice. It does not matter. I think you'll be able to finish the windmill without me. There's there's a pretty good store of stone accumulated. I'd only another month to go in any case. I tell you the truth, I've been looking forward to my retirement. And perhaps, as Benjamin's growing old too, they'll let him retire at the same time and be a companion to me. We must get help at once, said Clover. Run, somebody, tell Squealer what has happened. All the other animals immediately raced back to the farmhouse to give Squealer the news. Only Clover remained, and Benjamin, who lay down at Boxer's side, and without speaking, kept the flies off him with his long tail. After about a quarter of an hour, Squealer appeared, full of sympathy and concern. He said that Comrade Napoleon had learned with the very deepest distress of this misfortune to one of the most loyal workers on the farm, and was already making arrangements to send Boxer to be treated in the hospital at Willingdon. The animals felt a little uneasy at this. Except for Molly and Snowball, no other animal had ever left the farm, and they did not like to think of their sick comrade in the hands of human beings. However, Squealer easily convinced them that the veterinary surgeon in Willingdon could treat Boxer's case more satisfactorily than could be done on the farm. And about half an hour later, when Boxer had somewhat recovered, he was with difficulty got onto his feet and managed to limp back to his stall, where Clover and Benjamin had prepared a good bed of straw for him. For the next two days, Boxer remained in his stall. The pigs had sent out for a large bottle of pink medicine, which they had found in the medicine chest in the bathroom, and Clover administered it to Boxer twice a day after meals. <laughs> so, wait, he's got a collapsed lung and they're giving him Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, here you go, Boxer, here's some cowpole, here, that'll keep you going. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd rather be slathered in pesto, you know. To be fair, I swear, they, I swear, like paracetamol is treated like that sometimes. Say, like, well, just the the yeah. be all kind of yeah. like. Oh, I feel sick. Pop, I'll have some paracetamol. paracetamol. So, yeah, no, it's, it's true. Yeah, I mean, normally with kids, because normally it is just an ache or something. But yeah. it's so funny, just like oh yeah, but oh the yeah, pink let's stuff. Just... That's that's an anti nausea thing, isn't it? It's peptobismol normally. It's like a, a stomach, yeah, it's like but, upset yeah, stomach yeah, indigestion. Yeah, yeah. Calm, yeah. I don't know what else. I, I, I can't. Oh, think the of actual. Other have you ever tasted? They do pink. the pill. Have you ever tasted the actual medicine that they do? Like the unless it's a Gaviscon. Yeah, it is absolutely. It's. I mean, I used to say it's called Pepto-Bismol because it literally tastes like that. It's <laughs> the Abismal. worst. I've never had it. Liquids are honestly. <laughs> it's grim. It's it the, the the little tablets are fine, but the, the yeah. actual medicine. Stick to cowpaw. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love a cowpaw. Oh, I know. I was, Isn't I that how they voted the, um, it, like... the new leader? <laughs> They they voted how they voted a new leader. They had a cow poll. <laughs> what? <laughs> like a poll for cows. That, that, that one was uh, uh, not his finest work, but I still appreciated it. I was really struggling to connect the dots <laughs> just then.
A cowpole. Yeah, I get it now. You have to say it like a Londoner, it don't work. Yeah. And on that note, <laughs> <laughs> when David has left the call. <laughs> <laughs> in the evenings, she lay in his stool and talked to him, while Benjamin kept the flies off him. Boxer professed not to be sorry for what had happened. If he made a good recovery, he might expect to live another three years, and he looked forward to the peaceful days that he would spend in the corner of the big pasture. It would be the first time that he had had leisure to study and improve his mind. He intended, he said, to devote the rest of his life to learning the remaining twenty-two letters of the alphabet. However, Benjamin and Clover could only be with Boxer after working hours, and it was in the middle of the day when the van came to take him away. Is I don't know if Orwell's trying to make a comment on how life expectancy and stuff like that is lower under communist regimes, but the average age, like lifespan of a horse is 25 to 30 years, and like Boxer's like, oh, I'll be He's lucky 12. if I live to 15. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, so I don't know if that was intentional, where like Orwell's trying to make a comment of like, yeah, under these regimes, life expectancy is lower because it is, or maybe horses didn't live as long back then. I don't know, but what it's kind just of, kind what, of quite what, interesting. He's a cart horse, isn't he? Yeah, I is think that, so. Would they live shorter time? I don't know. I don't know. It, I just looked up just average life of a horse, and it just says twenty-five to thirty years. So. Oldest living horse was 51, named Shane. Blimey. In Breadwood. Shane. Shane what, Breadwood, this is dedicated to you. <laughs> we use the right voice. <laughs> Hello, Shane. Hope you're listening, darling. <laughs> Hang in this there, Shane. This for you, sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> the animals were all at work, weeding turnips under the supervision of a pig, when they were astonished to see Benjamin come galloping from the direction of the farm buildings, braying at the top of his voice. It was the first time that they had ever seen Benjamin excited. Indeed, it was the first time that anyone had ever seen him gallop. Quick! Quick! he shouted. Come at once! They're taking Boxer away! Without waiting for orders from the pig, the animals broke off work and raced back to the farm buildings. Sure enough, there in the yard was a large closed van, drawn by two horses, with lettering on its side and a sly-looking man in a low-crowned bowler hat sitting at the driver's seat. And Boxer's stall was empty. The animals crowded round the van. "'Goodbye, Boxer!' They chorused, Goodbye! Fools! Fools! shouted Benjamin, prancing round them and stamping the earth with his small hooves. Fools! Do you not see what is written on the side of that van? That gave the animals pause, and there was a hush. Muriel began to spell out the words, but Benjamin pushed her aside, and in the midst of a deadly silence, he read, Alfred Simmons, horse slaughterer and glue boiler, Willingdon, dealer in hides and bone meal, kennels supplied. Do you not understand what that means? They are taking Boxer to the knackers. A cry of horror 
burst from all the animals. At this moment, the man on the box whipped up his horses and the van moved out of the yard at a smart trot. All the animals followed, crying out at the tops of their voices. Clover forced her way to the front. The van began to gather speed. Clover tried to stir her stout limbs to a gallop and achieved a canter. Boxer! she cried. Boxer! 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 And just at this moment, as though he had heard the uproar outside, Boxer's face, with the white stripe down his nose, appeared at the small window at the back of the van. Boxer! cried Clover, in a terrible voice. Boxer, get out! Get out quickly! They're taking you to your death! All the animals took up a cry of, Get out, Boxer! Get out! But the van was already gathering speed and drawing away from them. It was uncertain whether Boxer had understood what Clover had said. But a moment later, his face disappeared from the window, and there was the sound of a tremendous drumming of hooves inside the van. He was trying to kick his way out. The time had been when a few kicks from Boxer's hooves would have smashed the van to matchwood. But alas, his strength had left him. And in a few moments, the sound of drumming hooves grew fainter and died away. In desperation, the animals began appealing to the two horses which drew the van to stop. Comrades! Comrades! they shouted. Don't take your own brother to his death! But the stupid brutes, too ignorant to realise what was happening, merely set back their ears and quickened their pace. Boxer's face did not reappear at the window. Too late. Someone thought of racing ahead and shutting the five-bar gate. But in another moment the van was through it, and rapidly disappearing down the road. Boxer was never seen again. Three days later, it was announced that he had died in the hospital at Willingdon, in spite of receiving every attention a horse could have. Squealer came to announce the news to the others. He had, he said, been present during Boxer's last hours. It was the most affecting sight I have ever seen, said Squealer, lifting his trotter and wiping away a tear. Is that the first time that I've ever regretted giving a stupid voice to I tr- someone? I, tr- I tried so hard. <laughs> so I tried so hard to do a serious Kermit, and I. I know it was like <laughs> it was like such it was a honestly poignant, the most emotional like, end to like a I know. Chapter. And, and then the voice oh, came. No. <laughs> but I still, came. even and me and though looking at each other like that's our, that's still our going. Bad. That's our bad. I'm still going. <laughs> it's like there's it, there's a fake version of um, Kermit the Frog singing "Creep" by Radiohead on YouTube. Oh, I and it's amazing, that. but it's so funny. Like, because it's just like the most depressing <laughs> song of all time. It's Kermit. It's like, oh, I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. <laughs> what the hell am I doing here? I don't belong here. That's that's so getting looked up as soon as this phone calls over. <laughs> <laughs>
Sorry, Josh. Oh. Try and put all of the totes emotion to this as possible. Here I, we go. Well, okay. <laughs> I was at his bedside at the very last. And at the end, almost two... Shut up! <laughs> Look. I'm, I'm acting my little socks off here. I know it's brilliant. Oh, you're I doing brilliantly. But this is the, this the problem, Josh. The more this is the thing. It's like in the what more direction I commit, goes your emotive input <laughs> and the voice. It is. No, that's the thing. The, the 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 closer it is actually to like being emotional, the funnier it is. And that's our bad. <laughs> We're just bad directors. That's the problem. Me and David should not be allowed to direct anything in the future. <laughs> At the end, almost too weak to speak. He whispered in my ear that his sole sorrow was to have passed on before the windmill was finished. Forward, comrades, he whispered. Forward, in the name of the rebellion. Long live Animal Farm. Long live Comrade Napoleon. Napoleon is always right. Those were his very last words, comrades. Here, Squealer's demeanour suddenly changed. He fell silent for a moment, and his little eyes darted suspicious glances from side to side before he proceeded. It had come to his knowledge, he said, that a foolish and wicked rumour had been circulated at the time of Boxer's removal. Some of the animals had noticed that the van which took Boxer away was marked Horse Slaughterer and had actually jumped to the conclusion that Boxer was being sent to the knackers. It was almost unbelievable, said Squealer, that any animal could be so stupid. Surely, he cried indignantly, whisking his tail and skipping from side to side, surely they knew their beloved leader, Comrade Napoleon, better than that. But the explanation was really very simple. The van had previously been the property of the knacker, and had been bought by the veterinary surgeon who had not yet painted the old name out. Uh, that was how the mistake had arisen. The animals were enormously relieved to hear this, and when Squealer went on to give further graphic details of Boxer's deathbed, the admirable care he had received, and the expensive medicines for which Napoleon had paid without a thought as to the cost, their last doubts disappeared and the sorrow that they felt for their comrade's death was tempered by the thought that at least he had died happy. Napoleon himself appeared at the meeting on the following Sunday morning and pronounced a short oration in Boxer's honour. It had not been possible, he said, to bring back their lamented comrade's remains for interment on the farm, but he had ordered a large wreath to be made from the laurels in the farmhouse garden, and sent down to be placed on Boxer's grave. And in a few days' time, the pigs intended to hold a memorial banquet in Boxer's honour. Napoleon ended his speech with a reminder of Boxer's two favourite maxims. I will work harder, and Napoleon is always right. Maxims, he said, which every animal would do well to adopt as his own. On the day appointed for the banquet, a grocer's van drove up from Willingdon and delivered a large wooden crate to the farmhouse. That night there was the sound of uproarious singing, 
which was followed by what sounded like a violent quarrel and ended at about eleven o'clock with a tremendous crash of glass. No one stirred in the farmhouse before noon on the following day, and the word went round that from somewhere or other the pigs had acquired the money to buy themselves another case of whisky. End of chapter. That's not where I expected it to end. <laughs> no, it's a little bit of a... It's like, yeah. and the pigs got really, really... And they got plastered well, again. Yeah. It's always so upsetting when a character who's so loyal and because they're so kind-hearted and good-natured, yeah, they have this naivety that everyone else will behave in a situation the same as they do. And that's how they get taken advantage of. And it's always so upsetting when that eventually happens in these stories and these these characters kind of end up getting screwed over and you just Well yeah, he's the he's the epitome. Like the idea is like you like the checkbook works hard, uh, obeys it, doesn't mm. speak out of turn. So he's literally the perfect person for the horse. The uh, perfect worker for, the, for this yeah. regime. And then gets treated like that, like you say, as in. But it's every- even, it's even grosser than that. That they then, after screwing him over, adopt his maxims as and his his mottos to further their own cause when they're the yeah. ones who killed him. Like it's just so, dis- it's just gross. It's so gross, and it's just the manipulation of you know his legacy and who he was as a person to further their own means like all of this stuff at the end is just lip service that's all it is they couldn't care less about boxer otherwise they wouldn't have sold him to be killed i honestly i honestly wouldn't be surprised if in the next chapter they um they order a, a, a massive pot of glue to stick up pictures of napoleon's face <laughs> that's literally <laughs> the very same glue <laughs> like, boxer, is that you <laughs> <laughs> it smells like boxer. Oh, oh my god! Oh, I knew he'd come for a sticky end. Oh. So sorry, I took that down a dark path. But I wouldn't be surprised uh, if they did. David, the print pun. stick anthologies. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the buns are great. PV Nay. <laughs> <laughs> It's so dark. I mean, I'm glad I'm laughing. I'm as close to the sun as I can without swearing or being inappropriate. (laughs) (laughs) And this is how I do it. (laughs) Yeah, no. And I'm glad because we we need the mood lifter right now because, I mean, (laughs) I think if there was one character... I remember that that far. I was like, oh, no, I know what happened here, which was like, yeah, "Yeah, we need Sarah Millican. We need Sarah. We need Sarah. Because if there was one character who kind of embodies who everyone was rooting for, do you know I mean everyone was rooting for Boxer? He was just such a like inspiration in terms of what he gave and what he didn't expect in return for what he gave. Mm. It's like it's so sad. It's so sad. So for this book, we are looking at lit charts. <laughs> There's only actually one point on Lit Charts that I kind of want to bring out. And I think it's just because it is something that is so relevant to where we are currently in our society internationally, not just in England, not just in America. 
and it's regarding Benjamin and his inaction, should I say. So there's a a paragraph here on Litchars that says, it takes the obviously impending death of his best friend to rouse Benjamin to action. But at this point, it's too late. Boxer's unthinking loyalty to Animal Farm, which robbed him of knowledge and of strength, combined with Benjamin's silence, means that Benjamin never alerted Boxer to the fact that if he had chosen to do so, he could have stopped Napoleon's reign of terror long ago with a single kick. Boxer's weak kicks are a stark contrast to his former strength, symbolising how the state used and abused him until he was no longer useful to them or able to survive for himself. But the main thing I want to kind of bring out in that is talking about how Benjamin realises that he's been silent too long. And we were talking before about how Benjamin represents academics and why doesn't he, when he knows what's going on, speak up and do something about it. And he definitely kind of was like, oh, none of my business. I'm just going to stay out of it. He never wanted to put his neck out, you know, in order to kind of make the changes that needed to happen. And it's ended up, it's not until it's hit him personally that he's suddenly gone, oh, if I had done something earlier, I could have stopped that from happening. But I think one of the things that really sticks out to me in this is that obviously if Benjamin's meant to represent the academics and boxers meant to represent the working class in this book they're best friends and i just find that quite interesting because so often in society they're pitted against each other but who are they pitted against each other by because what comes to mind for me is the brexit vote where Mm -hmm. a certain mr piggy michael gove said oh well the working class are tired of experts we're tired of hearing from experts and it put this wedge between the working class and academics. Mm-hmm. And so often we see that happening now where the experts are told to shut up because, oh, you don't understand the realities of the working class. You look down on them. Da, da, da. And it's like, no, actually, the person who's doing that is the person trying to drive the wedge in. They're the people who actually look down on the working class. They're the people who are actually trying to control them. And they're the people who are trying to delegitimize the academics so that you don't listen to them when they're saying, hey, don't listen to that guy. He's crooked and he's going to lie to you. And it just yeah. really hit home during that bit that like that happens today. That happens so often today where politicians just try and drive these class wedges between certain factions of society And what's really quite interesting is you can see here that if those classes united, they would be able to determine the course of the farm or in the allegory, the the, the course of the nation. Benjamin has the intellect, but he doesn't have the strength. Boxer has the strength, but he doesn't have the intellect. It's only when these two combine that they actually have the power to make a difference. But unfortunately, they weren't able to recognise that until it was too late but it i just i just felt that that was such a a massive massive point that orwell's trying to signpost there about how people in power will so often drive wedges between people in society because it's it's simple divide and conquer it's just very easy to control people when they're divided yeah 
So if you've got any, I'm sure you must you must plan them. You're like, right, we're, wrap, we're just about to wrap up. I'm, just before I do my thing, let me just say something really profound and slightly <laughs> earth shattering. Matt's got a graph in front of him. It's like a um, what measures earthquakes? It's a size um, seismometer. A seismograph. He waits for morale to get to its lowest, and then he does all the. And then I try and pep everybody. It's really. It makes me laugh every time, and I love it. I know. I mean, it's it's very particular to this book. We knew doing this book that we were going to end up having some quite serious conversations and mostly not because of just the book, but because of how it relates to real life and reality. So we did know that this book was going to be slightly different. If people have found this book quite heavy going and hard going, like don't worry, like the next book will not be like that. We will not pick something as political and, you know, we're, we're not just going to read Marx. Do you know what I mean? Where's Wally? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It works great over audio. <laughs> Where's Wally? <laughs> After 15 minutes, we go. There he is. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my we god! Did this through. <laughs> I know. Really bad that. I would. That. I would totally that listen sounds to like that. Performance art. <laughs> yeah. I would tune in every week. You're just to upset to hooks. You're like. It's been 20 minutes. Where is Wally? <laughs> For the Where love of God, football Wally. At Wembley? <laughs> <laughs> It'd just be whose voice pops in first with, I found him. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you've got any comments or opinions on this chapter, you can message us on thelazybookclub at gmail.com. Or if you've got any... Uh, little comments or two cents to drop up on us we can find us on twitter and our handle is at lazy book club pod yep instagram we could do that as well if you're so inclined at lazy book club pod if you haven't memorized it yet mm. we're also now on patreon which is also at lazy book club pod patreon.com forward slash lazy book real club money pod. not big money yes real money <laughs> no, no crayon money um and for the very low fee of three dollars a month you get an extra episode a month and you also get to see the video of us recording these podcasts as well. You get to see our beautiful wow. faces as we do them. We'll what also a put some, Yeah, we'll put some more <laughs> benefits up as we go as well, as we kind of think of them and come up with them. But for now, those are the two that we are offering. Also, as usual, you can please rate and share this podcast if you feel like there's anyone who maybe yeah. might enjoy it. Also, if you know Do any that. school children who are currently reading Animal Farm for some kind of GCSE or something, 100%. share it because really hopefully yeah. this might be a bit more interesting than just reading the book themselves. Otherwise... We're back for the very last chapter next week. Chapter 10. Chapter X. Will Benjamin finally pull his hoof out and do something? Will the pigs get their They're going to Sugarcane Mountain. Will they just go to Sugarcane Mountain? Everyone just dies and loses their liver. Who knows? Can you feel the brand new day? There you go. Sing, David. So we will see you next week for the final chapter of Animal Farm. See you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.